No, it's ours. We stole it a fair and square. I would join in, but I can't do a Greek accent. That was an Italian accent, so clearly I neither know, can I. Know I. Was, I know, but I, I felt like I needed to do a Greek one just to sort of balance it out. What a mistake to make it. Are we, we going to do the countdown? Are we doing a countdown? Should we do countdown. a countdown? Let's do we a countdown. Count okay, let's do a countdown. We can do a countdown. Three. We're going to do a countdown. Okay. Two. Two. <laughs> counting? Are we're we going to counting yet? Okay, let's yeah, start again. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Three. Three. Two. Two. One. One. <laughs> it's that time of the week, Tom. Excellent. My favourite time of the week, apart from Saturday evening and having a takeaway. <laughs> yes, apart from that time. And of course, saying hello to our families in the morning. Actually, no, not that. That doesn't count. Uh, this is my happiest <laughs> time of the week. <laughs> Apologies to my darling wife, who I love, <laughs> and who listens to this podcast on her way to work. <laughs> oh, so she's the one that listens to this podcast. Right. <laughs> the one. <laughs> the one. Oh, dear. Let's see how many uh, how many people make... <laughs> how many... Ah, words. I... <laughs> What was that? That was the bit to force me to edit that out. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. I thought that was you starting your lawnmower. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my lawnmower well, sounds the... like a shit motorbike. <laughs> or, or, a, or a horny man with a beard. Um... <laughs> <laughs> like, like Lord Melcher in Blackadder. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, some horny oh, mustachioed Victorian. <laughs> 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 Um, Look at the calves on that. (laughs) Wrist. (laughs) Love a good bit of wrist. Mm. Anyway, welcome one and all to That Was Genius, the podcast in which Tom, who is the other voice, and I, Sam, two friends on different sides of the world, surprise each other each week with a history story on a theme. And what is our theme this week, Tom? Our theme is sculpture, Sam, sculpture. It is indeed sculpture and statues, yes. Good, thank <laughs> fuck for that. <laughs> thank Rose for that. Oh, there was a moment's hesitation there, Sam, where I was. I, I thought you might have been doing some other research. It is research. indeed poetry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I specialise in poetry. You do. You wrote a lovely poem the other week about food. Yeah. Do check that out. If you haven't listened to any of our other podcasts, do check out the episode on food. It's very funny. And it turns out that Tom is a wonderful poet. I am a good poet and I didn't know it. I did. I had no doubts. About my (laughs) trouts. (laughs) (laughs) That's just a snippet. That's just a snippet, audience. There's more where that came from. I'm not just... Just just like that. Fire. (laughs) That was just off the cuff. You spit ill rhymes on the daily, don't you? Pow, pow, pow. I know. Oh, but I'm just banging them out. I bang out rhymes like Buster Rhymes. No, that's not a rhyme because I just repeated the same word. <sighs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to join in. I'm going to let you dig this hole yourself. Like a mole. Yes. On a shelf. On a shelf. <laughs> <laughs> dig this hole yourself like a mole on a shelf. It oh, rhymes. right. It does. It does when you go back several lines, yes. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. Where were we? Right, so this week this week isn't poetry. <laughs> Moving swiftly uh, on. Yes, which, which I think is probably quite fortunate for our listeners, having experienced that snippet of our poetic genius. Yeah, it's all getting edited out anyway. They'll never hear a word of it. How have you found this week's topic, Tom? <laughs> I've, wonderful, Sam. Fantastic. I, you know, did you study classics at college? 
I... Yes, uh, yes, ish. Ish? I did bits of it. Explain more. Well, I did a Middle Eastern history degree, which includes quite a lot of the Greeks and Romans. No, 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 Sam. College, not university. College. Oh, no. No, I did, I did modern no, history. No, I didn't think you did. I did classics and modern history. And so when you do classics, you do quite a lot of sculpture. So I quite enjoyed going back and revisiting some things that I studied way back when. Good. So, no, it's very enjoyable. Well, I've really struggled with this one because I couldn't give a fuck about art. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, well, well... Uh, I'm much more into politics, me. You didn't enjoy it at all. I, I did. It's not. I didn't enjoy it. Once I got into it, I did enjoy it. But I struggled to get started because you were too busy, weren't you, Sam? Being inspired by Twitter feeds, where you had to use the suffix "up my bum" after the title of a film. Yes, weren't you? So, for anyone who doesn't follow us on Twitter. We had a minorly viral tweet the other week when there was a, a trending topic of ruin a film by adding up your bum to the end. And I, I chipped in with a few good men up your bum, which I thought was very funny. And the internet agreed. Yeah, I'd like to point out at this point I was reading Herodotus and Sam was on Twitter <laughs> adding up my bum to the end of films. I did yes, briefly I look at the feed and I thought there will be blood up my bum was a little bit graphic. <laughs> that was another person's suggestion. It's, it actually works with a lot of film titles. I thought there's it something really about does. Mary up my bum. Yes. was quite a good one. What else? Batman I, Returns uh, up my bum. <laughs> Goldfinger, which is, um, <laughs> someone else got. I noticed when I looked at the thread, retrospectively. So yes, I was reading Herodotus. You were coming up with silly things to put before up my bum. Anyway, I quite enjoyed it. You didn't. No, it was, this, was, this was fine. Once I got into it, it was good. I think I found someone fun to talk about. Who are you talking about? So I am talking about, and I am definitely, definitely going to pronounce his name wrong, Lysippus, the famous Greek sculptor. I think it's Lysippus, Sam. Is it Lysippus? It is Lysippus. Yeah, you put the emphasis slightly incorrectly, but that, that's OK. And that, Sam, is interesting that you've chosen him because that means we've pretty much gone for the same period in the same geographical location in history. Ah. So we have actually, for the first time in this podcast, been very, very similar. Because the student of Lysippus created the statue that I'm going to talk about. And what is that statue? How, what a coincidence. That statue is the Colossus of Rhodes. Have you heard of the Colossus of Rhodes? Only in passing. And that student would be Charis of Lindos, would it not? It would be. It would be. Fuck me, we sound smart, don't we? I know. (laughs) (laughs) And I've just researched his pronunciation to check. It's actually Chars. It's Chars of Lindos, which threw me completely. I double-checked the pronunciation of his name just to be sure. And Dave of Athens. (laughs) Wilfred. (laughs) I was going Chaz and Dave. Oh, I got you. No, no, you didn't. It was a ruined joke. It was a really good joke and you ruined it. Do you want to do it again? No. Beauty of editing. You, come on. No, we're leaving in the original disappointment. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yes, I'm going to talk about the Colossus of Rhodes, which was created by Charles of Lindos. Did you realise it was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, Sam? Did that come to mind when you heard? Well, I think that's where I know of it from, as one of the seven Good. ancient wonders of the world, but I don't really know anything else about it. Excellent, and that is precisely why I chose it. So I'm excited to find out more. Perfect. That's exactly why I chose it, because... I know one of the major themes of this podcast is that we try to surprise each other with a little bit, a slightly less well-known 
story from history. I know that the seven wonders of the ancient world are fairly well known, but I don't think many people can name all of them. They know of the concept, and I don't think people know the specifics about many of those seven ancient wonders of the world. So I thought this would be a really good topic to fill people in. Good. And nothing, Tom, as they say, is funnier than specifics. (laughs) I don't know what to say. I I like detail, (laughs) Sam. I like detail. I'm a detailed person. I know you do. And I love detail too. I'm really looking forward to it. Should we flip something? Yes. I think we've strung these poor bastards on long enough. Right. Let me root around the room for something to... Right. Oh, I've got a good one to flip today. Go on. So when I went to China earlier this year, as I've alluded to several times in this podcast, we went you to... You love freaking country dropping, don't you? Oh, I've been to India. Oh, I've been to China. Oh, well... I've been to Wigan. Can you stop being <laughs> such a... Geographical whore, Sam. Sorry, Tom. Right, what did you get from China then? Come on. What? Well, so we went to the tat markets. The tap markets. T A T. Tat knockoffs. Shite. I was, I was just thinking, lots of taps. I thought it'd be pretty dull, unless you were a plumber. <laughs> and one of the things we bought out there was a hilarious fridge magnet. It's got some beautiful Chinese characters on it, and it's got the English translation underneath. And the English translation says, "Distance far, you look like beautiful lady." Near, you look like an ass of monkey. (laughs) I think that was one of my best men's speeches. (laughs) One of my brothers. (laughs) That sounds about right, doesn't it? Beautiful. So would you like the side with um, ass of monkey written on it or the side with a magnet? I don't fancy the ass of a monkey at this time on a Friday evening, so I'll go with the magnet, please. (laughs) Really? You're avoiding the curry house this evening. Okay. Mystery meets, mystery meets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Colon of a monkey curry. Mm. Sorry, flip it. Go on, flip it. Right, it's it's landed. And it's landed on the text side. So I'm going to let you go first. I think I've lost most of the recent tosses. <clears throat> yes, funny that, isn't it? Since you can't see what it lands on. Yeah, we, yeah <laughs> I know. I think we discussed that in a previous podcast, didn't we? We did. Anyway... The Colossus of Rhodes, Sam. Now, I've mentioned before, it was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Can you name the other six? No, but I can name the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, the Great Library of Alexandria, and I've forgotten the rest. Which one was the Alexandria? The Great Library? Uh, no, no, it's not the Great Library. Oh, the Lighthouse. I, it's the Lighthouse the of Alexandria, li- Good, isn't it? excellent. I've, just, I've actually just put a tick on my notes, Sam. I just realised I was putting ticks on my notes. So, yeah, that's not bad. That's two. Two out of uh, the six remaining. Is Petra one of them? It's not, is it? No, no, Petra isn't. No, I think Petra's probably not uh, Hellenistic enough. There's a massive Hellenistic focus here on the Seven Ancient Wonders of the World. That's true. Is the Parthenon one? It's not, but that's a very, very good guess. Let me put you out of your misery, please, Sam. Please do. Hold your knowledge gun to my head and end my suffering, Tom. When I say these to you, I'd like to imagine them on a sort of conveyor belt like the Generation Game. Sort of just coming across you and um, I'll just explain what they are. Great Pyramid of Giza. Oh, the flipping pyramids. Yeah, pretty easy one, that, isn't it? Yes, that you've got the Hanging Gardens one. of Babylon. Temple of Artemis at Ephesus. Ah. Now, Ephesus is known for its library as well, so I've, whenever I try and guess the seven ones, I often say the library at Ephesus, but no, it's the Temple of Artemis at Ephesus. The Statue of Zeus at Olympia, uh, which I almost did because it is a statue. The Mausoleum of Halicarnassus. And yes, you've got the Lighthouse yeah. of Alexandria. So that's the list. And the Colossus of Rhodes was the last to be completed but the first to be destroyed, Sam. 
I've just uh, sort of read through that list as if it is the definitive list. The Seven Wonders of the World basically started out as a little bit of a bucket list of places to visit in the Mediterranean when you're on holiday. As far back as Herodotus, that's the 5th century BC, there's a list of places to visit. I couldn't find exactly what Herodotus listed, but it couldn't have been... Um, the same list because many of these on the list are actually <laughs> they haven't been built yet <laughs> exactly i've got the numbers here so what was hanging gardens of babylon was 600 bc so they would have been built it was a statue of zeus at olympia was 435 bc mausoleum at halicarnassus was 351 and the lighthouse at alexandria was 280 so there's four of them that wouldn't have actually been built when herodotus was writing so it seemed to change quite a lot then we have references in the third century bc a guy called callimachus of cyrene Antipater of Sidon and Philo of Byzantium. Now, I think I've pronounced them all correctly. And Pliny the Elder as well. So Pliny, this is much later now. So Pliny the Elder is AD. And he speaks of the seven wonders of the world as well. So they get referenced quite a lot. And my understanding is, is that they slightly change with different people and they sort of evolve over time. It kind of crystallizes the concept of the seven wonders of the world, kind of crystallizes in the Renaissance, as you'd expect when people are looking back to the ancient world. And again, during the Renaissance, it became a kind of hit list of places that you could go and visit. Although by the Renaissance, only one of them was still standing, which is the one that is still standing, which is the Great Pyramid or the Great Pyramid of Giza. When I was looking into Pliny the Elder Sam, I came across a book that he wrote. And I don't know if this is actually in existence or whether we just know through references that this book existed. But it was I want to give you the name of it, Sam. And I want you to suggest what you think this book was about. It was called, and my Latin pronunciation is going to be substandard here, De Jaculation Equestri. Well, Tom, <laughs> far be it from me to uh, target the lowest common denominator <laughs> or to, to dig the barrel, but it sounds a little bit like spunky horses. You disgust me, Sam. You are absolutely disgusting. I couldn't believe you had actually come to that conclusion, Sam. When I read that, the first thing I thought was uh, the art of throwing spears off horseback. Didn't even cross my mind that it sounded like the ejaculations of horses. So there you go. So that was, that was that's a little thing I stumbled across when I was researching. So the Colossus of Rose was a giant statue. What in is the, the book about? I feel like I should ask now. It is. Yeah, it is. It is. It's about, it's about using a spear on horseback. Oh right. It's about throwing spears on horseback. Yeah. Oh. Which makes sense, really, doesn't it? But it does. Ejaculating your spear. It, absolutely. Are you a fan of Dickens, Sam? Because there's lots of ejaculations. Oh in Dickens. yes, abs- absolutely. And Sherlock Holmes is always—he's ejaculating all over the shop. Right. So the Colossus of Rhodes <laughs> was a giant statue in the port city of Rhodes, which is on the island of Rhodes, and that's in modern-day Greece. And it was a part of the, um, the Hellenistic world. It's actually very close to Turkey, so it's the southeast of modern Greece, quite a distance from the Greek mainland and Athens and places like that. Um, It was estimated to be about 33 metres high. For people who work in Imperial Steel, that's 180 feet. What's that in football pitches, Tom? (laughs) You kind of jumped in and ruined my joke, Sam. Oh, sorry, go go back, go back. I don't know how many many pitches would that be. That's about a third of a football pitch, isn't it? I was going to make a joke that the majority of people still work in cubits and it's 70 cubits, but, you know, you, you ruined oh. that hilarious joke. Do you know what a cubit is, Sam? What is it in Rods and Chains? What's it in Rods and Chains? That sounds like a band. <laughs> so, do, do you know what a cubit is? Oh, do you know what? I want to say yes, but I'll get it wrong, so no, I don't. El- elbow to the tip of the finger. That's it, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Christ, whoever had to measure the bloody height of it in cubits was... 
given a difficult task, weren't they? Imagine trying. What to... is it in hands? Yeah, hands bands. Well, even then, you've still got to go up a 33-meter-high building with your hands. Well, hands obviously still exist. Hands is still used as a measurement in horses. Is it? Yeah, horses are measured in hands. And what, what if someone's got really big hands or tiny little creepy hands? Well, I think a hand is now... I'm going to get this wrong now because it's been a while since I've been around horses, but I think a hand is four inches. Right. OK, so it's about the same height as the Statue of Liberty and about the same height as Christ the Redeemer that looks over Rio. Oh, interesting. But who'd win in a fight, Tom? That's the real question. Oh, oh, come on. I mean, he's called the Colossus. I mean, the Statue of Liberty is a very snowflake name, isn't it? And Jesus, he's not really into that. No, I'm happy turning water into wine, isn't he? I imagine, though, with the Colossus of Rhodes, that he looked very much like a Mexican wrestler. The Colossus of Rhodes. <laughs> I have him in my head pictured as a Geordie. <laughs> if I'm honest with you, Sam. And I'll explain why shortly. Just actually for, for reference, uh, Geordie reference here, the Angel of the North, which is a reasonably famous statue in the north of England, that's only 20 metres high. And um, I've driven past that a few times. It's pretty bloody big. Wow. So th- 33 metres is, is really quite sizable. So it's a statue of the sun god Helios, which is actually a, a fairly minor god in the Greek pantheon. He's not a Premier League god, he's a, he's a lower division god, but he's a very big deal in Rhodes. It was just almost a cult centre for the, for the sun god Helios in Rhodes. The name Rhodes is actually from the name Rhodos, which was a nymph who bore seven sons to Helios. So yeah, the whole island was a bit of a cult to the god Helios. Uh, the Helios in, in the later Hellenistic period, I think, basically merged with Apollo, became the same sort of god, and in Roman... It's Sol, equivalent to the Roman god Sol. That's a sad moment, isn't it, when as a god you get merged with another god? Yeah. When you get an aggressive acquisition of your immortality. Not important anymore. See when you know you're failing as a god, doesn't it? Yeah, just not popular enough anymore. I haven't got the resources to keep you afloat. <laughs> so he's usually depicted, Helios, as a young man at the helms of a chariot being drawn by horses going across the sky, which is most people can immediately make the similarity between that and the sun rising and setting in the sky so that's the god helios and he stood over the the harbor of Rhodes. he stood looking over the harbor quite where we don't actually know there's a bit of debate around that and there's no consensus really as to where he stood lots of early modern artists have depicted him astride the entrance to the harbor yes which seems a little impractical exactly people have been quite quick to say that's just not they wouldn't have been able to build that. It would have been too difficult to build. All of these pictures also have him in the nip. So he's butt naked with his legs astride. And this is where I think he's a Geordie. Because <laughs> that to me is, it, come rain or shine, you know, I'm standing here with my legs apart. Welcome to Rhodes. Come on in. Don't look up at me onto college. Legs akimbo. That's have, not Geordie, is not... it? <laughs> that wasn't Geordie at all. <laughs> I see. I can only do the Geordie accent if I do it as a child. Do it high pitch, go on, Sam. Why are you, Oh, hello. Welcome to Rhodes. Don't look at me knackers. My name is Helios, and uh, welcome to Rhodes. I'm the bloody sun god. <laughs> Out on that tune. <laughs> as, as you sail between my legs, you will notice that sun shines out me asks. I am Helios, <laughs> god of the sun. <laughs> so, I mean, that also, the fact that he's in, he's completely naked does add some impracticality to the idea that he was straddling the harbour because any ship that came through with a particularly tall mast would get it knocked off by his dongle, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Uh, by his dongle, very technologically <laughs> advanced. Um, 
Um, by, by his USB. <laughs> with his U- USB crotch. Um, so, <laughs> it's the first time you plug it in, it always goes the wrong way. You can charge your phone in, in my crotch. Oh, that'd be handy. It would be handy. Well, I, I thought that the sculptor, Charles, was lacking a bit of creativity because if I was going to have a massive colossus astride a port... I would make it a bit more practical and I'd maybe get a weather vane attached somewhere to this naked man. I mean, I can't think where would be an inappropriate place to have a weather vane on a giant (laughs) naked colossus. But something, somewhere, you know, just a point where the wind was blowing. I I would have have added to that, I would have put little lights in his nipples to guide ships. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's getting dark, guys, and you know what happens. I get turned on. (laughs) (laughs) Illuminate the tits. (laughs) There's a storm coming. (laughs) Just pointing in different directions out to sea. You think he'd be turning around like a lighthouse? Just flashing flashing his nipples, (laughs) letting people know that the port of Rhodes was near. Yeah, it'd be like left and right. (laughs) Beep, beep. One red, one blue. Like hazard warning lights on a car, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Yeah, okay. I I think Charles And I'd have given him roller skates. Right. And why? <laughs> <laughs> why why would he have ro- If you're going to go, go all out. <laughs> right, okay. So let's just let's just backtrack and describe what we've got here. We've got a high-pitched Geordie in the nip, come rain or shine, hot or cold. He's got a penis weather vane. Yeah. Uh, he's got one red shiny nipple, one blue shiny nipple, and he's on roller skates. Yeah. I think it's probably best that we didn't design this statue, or indeed any <laughs> statue. Did you say at the start that you didn't particularly like art and sculpture, Sam? <laughs> <laughs> Was that because you were never very good at it? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought my GCSE art teacher didn't see my talent. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out, no, he was right. (laughs) (laughs) When you kept putting roller skates on everything you were drawing. (laughs) No, we were were doing our own version of Mona Lisa, Sam. And no, Mona Lisa doesn't have flashing nipples. And she doesn't have rollerblades. Did the Statue of Rhodes look like former TV chef Gary Rhodes? (laughs) What is it with these 90s references, Sam? In previous episodes, we've, you know, any, anyone from any other country is not going to get any of these references. We've talked about a big break, Generation Game, David Ginola, Duncan Goodhue. I don't think most people from the UK know who Duncan Goodhue is. No, I don't. <laughs> and now you're talking about... Oh, God. Carry on. Gary Rhodes, for listeners, was a spiky-haired 90s celebrity chef. I don't think we should be ashamed of our cultural heritage, Tom. No, I'm, I'm proud think... of Gary Rhodes. <laughs> I'm proud of our cultural heritage from about 1980 onwards. 1980? What happened in 1980? Uh, it all just got good, didn't it? Hold on, Sam. You were born. I see the correlation here. So the Colossus of Rhodes was constructed around 280 BC, and it was actually a celebration of Rhodes, the island of Rhodes, defeating an army led by Antigon... Oh, here you go. There's another... You've got to get the, the emphasis right on these... Can we do a drum roll for this one? Antigon- Antigonus. Antigonus the first Monophalmus. Monophal- oh, God, this is a mouthful. <clears throat> <laughs> Let's try again. Antigonus the first Monophalmus. There you go. Nailed it that time. And that they defeated Antigonus. <laughs> <laughs> 
him. They defeated him. Him. They defeated him in around 305 BC. Uh, What's your knowledge of Alexander the Great like, Sam? Have you you got quite good general knowledge? Pretty reasonable, actually. Excellent. So you'll know that after the surprise death of Alexander the Great at the age of 32, there was basically a massive, I think it was about a 50-year period of infighting to see who was going to succeed him. Yes. So there was no successor clearly named by Alexander the Great. And so it all became a bit of a nightmare. And it's it's called the Wars of the, the Diadochi, isn't it? It lasted about 50 years. This siege is very much in the period after Alexander's death, when many of the generals and or satraps, which was a, a word for a provisional governor, were basically just carving out their own little kingdoms, murdering each other, carving out more kingdoms. It was just general chaos. Is, is that a fairly good description, do you think? I think that's a pretty good, good description, yeah. It was kind of the entropy of Alexander's empire in which everything sort of returned to not quite but more or less the way it was before yeah (laughs) slowly and quite violently very Game of Thrones again very Game of Thrones with even more naked people because Greece (laughs) including giant Geordies anyway the sieging army when they were defeated left much of their siege equipment and so what the people of Rhodes did is they sold some of it and used some of it to build uh, the Colossus as a sort of celebration of this victory. It was also just a very rich trading port anyway, because it was strategically pretty important. So it was built between 292 and around 280 BC, so it doesn't sound like it was a particularly fast project, bearing in mind that it was 305 that the siege ended. They obviously took their time doing it. And the construction of the statue, it sounds as if it was a sort of metal outer shell with metal struts for support, which you'd obviously need. And then there seemed to be a lot of rocks that were placed inside it in some manner to stabilise it and to allow the sculptors to build it. Using one of the siege engines, they also had ramps of earth as they built up the statue. So massive ramps of earth. And when the statue was completed, they removed a lot of this earth to reveal the finished article. Unfortunately, it didn't last very long. So it's destroyed in 226 BC after an earthquake. And this is another reason why it's very, very unlikely that it was built straddling the entrance to the harbour, because if it did fall, um, a lot of the parts of it would be in the harbour itself and more likely to be discovered. Whereas it's reasonably clear from a lot of the sources that it actually fell on land. So it fell from about the waist down, it collapsed on land. So how long did that last then? It only lasted a century or so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's do. The, I've got the figures in front of me, let's calculate it. Under under 60 years, about 54 years, so really not very long for what presumably required a lot of effort. <laughs> yes, took an awful lot of time and effort to build. Absolutely, and you compare it to the Great Pyramid of Giza, which is still going strong, Sam. Still going strong. Strong shape, though, isn't it? Very unlikely to fall down a pyramid. No, great, really strong shape. So destroyed in 226 BC, Ptolemy III offered to rebuild it at the time, but there was an oracle from Delphi that discouraged this. So the people of Rhodes thought that they may have done something to offend Helios, and so they decided they just needed to leave it as it, as it was. It was still a marvel to behold for a good 800 years after it collapsed because all the parts were still on land. So you could still go and see a massive finger of the Colossus of Rhodes, his giant feet or all these parts of the body, and you could still appreciate the sheer <laughs> size of this thing. Go on, Sam, say it. <laughs> no, no, I know, no. I think it's Pliny the Elder that says that people would go and visit it and they would be amazed, but that very few of them had arms long enough to be able to wrap themselves around the Colossus of Rhodes' enormous fingers. So it clearly no, was very, very not big. not doing it. <laughs> 
Eventually, when the island got captured by Arabs, the brass, I think I saw one source that suggested it was made of brass. I don't know what else it could have been made of. Are copper and brass the same thing, Sam? I don't know. I'm not a metallurgist. No, they're not. Uh, Brass is an alloy, as is bronze, which is what most things were made out of. But bronze would have been incredibly expensive to make that size of a statue. Maybe we can put that out to listeners. If you know what the Colossus of Rhodes is made out of... Get back to us. We'd be fascinated to hear. Anyway, what we do have a fair amount of idea about is that uh, when the Arab forces captured the island, they sold the raw materials from the Colossus to a Jew, and that Jew took it away on about 900 camels. That's clearly a lot of raw material. Amazing. Do we have the guy's name? Do we? No, I don't think we do. I don't think we know who it was. I could be wrong there, though. Yeah, so there it is. That is the Colossus of Rhodes, Sam. It's such a shame that all of this stuff has disappeared. Absolutely. In many ways, our stories are linked today because they're from similar periods and about similar things. But so many classical artworks have been destroyed by basically looting to repay war debts. (laughs) Well, I think four of them were destroyed by earthquakes. But yeah, then obviously the raw materials get looted. Yeah. Or people just start building the outhouse at the bottom of their cottage out of pieces from a an ancient temple <laughs> just like isn't that isn't that what happens in egypt a lot of papyrus scrolls and things have been found in toilets as toilet paper uh yes i think that that has happened over the years yes <laughs> when i visited turkey about four oh, about 12 or 13 years ago now we visited mm. pergamon actually the, the kingdom of pergamon was actually one of the empires that came out of the succession disputes after alexander the great wasn't it i think And for people who don't know about Pergamon, it's in the middle of Turkey and it's basically a big hill just covered in antiquities, covered in really incredible archaeological remains. And if you go there as a tourist visitor, you can basically just wander through it. You can go and have pictures taken of you standing on a column. I've always wanted to go. It's fantastic. Like, it looks amazing. So much archaeology. And, yeah, I would not be surprised if the locals in the village had... century has been using the raw materials to build themselves a toilet you know (laughs) there's just so much of it amazing well tom i'm gonna follow on from your story with something somewhat similar as we've discussed and that is the famous slash infamous greek sculpture lysippus did i pronounce it right this time uh you did but you said sculpture not sculptor oh (laughs) flip it I was concentrating so much on the pronunciation that I just forgotten what he was and or did. I I could tell. Um, And Lysippus was in fact a human and not a piece of artwork in and of himself. I think it's Lysippus. It it is quite tricky, but I think with these names, you've got to put the emphasis at the right point. I think it's Lysippus. Lysippus. Yeah. Lysippus. You said it it wrong again. It's Lysippus. For fuck's sake. (laughs) Lysippus. Hold on, I'm just I'm just going to double check that I'm not being a prat and I have actually got this right. I'm googling it now. Lysippos. Well, I'm going to say Lysippus. Oh, some other twat is pronouncing it in a different way. Just do it. Lysippus. Yeah. I reckon it's Lysippus. I'm going to talk today about Lysippus, who was born in around 390 BC in the city of <laughs> Sicyon near Corinth. What? What? You pronounced it wrong again. I don't care. I don't care. I'm just going to say it. We've taken... Right, listeners, I have edited out seven or eight cuts of me trying to say this bastard's name. And I'm probably getting We have already established well. that I don't care. It's, I'm fa- it's Lysippus. I'm fairly confident it's Lysippus. I don't give a fuck, Tom. <laughs> it's attention to detail, Sam. You were taking the mic out of the specifics. I've got to get these things right. Lysippus. Is that good? Is that okay? Yes. 
So today I'm going to talk about Lysippus, who was a very famous Greek sculptor who is absolutely beloved of critics and classicists today, which is odd because not one single piece of his work actually survives. They, they do actually have some of his work still in existence, Sam. They don't. I thought they found an Alexander the Great. It was never confirmed. What about the boy? Not confirmed. Oh, fair enough. Sorry. Not confirmed. <laughs> because despite being incredibly prolific in his lifetime, it's thought not a single work that originally was his has survived. So he's absolutely beloved, his style is very, very well known, and yet there's none of his actual works left. So, as a young boy, Lysippus taught himself to cast and work with bronze, and became very, very well known for it in quite a short period of time. He worked on an industrial scale, running a very large workshop and training a huge circle of dozens of other sculptors and apprentices. Uh, In fact, it was, as we've said, Chaz of Lindos, who designed and made the Colossus of Rhodes. That's right, he was a student, yeah. I'm getting images, Sam, of Cheres and Lysippus in a sort of ghost-style Demi Moore, Patrick Swayze situation, carving Alexander the Great astride (laughs) each other. Well, I thought you were going to say casting bronze, which would have resulted in horrific burns if they're just kind of doing it with (laughs) their bare hands over molten metal. They they, they would do... (laughs) <laughs> they, they, were do, they were just doing like a preliminary piece They were just doing a preliminary piece I like that idea, I like to think so That would be very Greek of them, wouldn't it? Yeah, I thought it would be quite nice Can you, What's the song of that film? What's the song? Oh called? my love, my darling I hunger oh, for oh, your touch oh, oh, I'm going to pause you there, Sam I think we need to do it again But with more, I don't know, Costa del Sol Elvis impersonator <laughs> okay. Oh, 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 my darling. Oh, I think I just had a little moment. <laughs> Going back to Lysippus, just briefly. He churned out about 1,500 major sculptures in his lifetime, so there's an awful lot of his work that has wow. been lost. His sculptures are known for their inclusion of kind of very, very fine things like eyelids and even toenails in instances where the feet have survived because, as we know, bits tend to get knocked off Greek statues and they're inevitably stolen by Romans, Byzantines, Ottomans, British and uh, and latterly shattered by clumsy American and Chinese tourists. So little bits like fingers and toes are quite rare to find. But where they have survived, he did incredibly intricate toenails and he was also, I have to say, very good at pubes. Was he? Yeah, very good at pubes. His sculptures tend to be quite realistic. They are generally leaner and have smaller heads and features than the really roided-up bodybuilders that the Greeks sometimes like to carve and produce. Yeah, certainly Hercules, or Heracles in the Greek, he's often incredibly stocky, isn't he, with sculptures? Absolutely, and you look at gods like Zeus in sculpture and statue, and they always look absolutely ridiculous. Swole, man, swole. <laughs> lightweight baby. Light- oh, it's buddy, isn't it? Lightweight buddy. Do you even lift? Hey, Apollo, you're looking really weirdy. <laughs> Greeks don't let Greeks skip leg day. (laughs) Zalysipus, as well as producing myriad works from his workshop, he was a sculptor to the stars. Alexander the Great had him on speed dial. In fact, it was Lysippus who's credited with creating the look that we know for Alexander the Great. He developed his tousled hair, his slightly pouty, very regal, kind of staring into the distance look. 
And it's his impression that we see today because he was the personal sculptor and the only man permitted to recreate Alexander's form in bronze. Alexander also had a personal painter and engraver, but it's the statues which were said by many sources, including Plutarch later on, to be the most reliable representation and, and really the one which inspired the others. So this is the guy who basically made Alexander the Great. Now, didn't Alexander the Great also have a medical condition with one of his eyes? He is thought to have done, yes. One thing he did, he was, he was very insistent upon Lysippus, was uh, symmetry. Symmetry is a big part of his style. The faces are all very beautiful because they're all very symmetrical. I suspect he probably would have overlooked it. It's interesting the subtlety, isn't it? The way, like you said, he would uh, make the head slightly smaller, the body longer, which isn't realistic, but to the naked eye, to the viewer, would look better. The Greeks were big on this with their architecture, weren't they? Things like the Parthenon isn't at complete right angles and deliberately not because those perfect right angles from a distance look bad. They don't look right. No, with distance and perspective, right angles start to look wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and straight lines start to look... It's parallax. They start to kind of pull closer yeah. together as you as you look yeah, up. I think you're right. It's, it's all that subtlety that the Greeks were very, very good at. I, I suppose even... Um, very, very good. Even Michelangelo's David has larger hands and feet, doesn't he? Although I think that might be for slightly different reasons. Probably stability. I'm not suggesting Michelangelo is a Greek, by the way. I, I do know Michelangelo wasn't Greek. <laughs> Sorry. Carry on, Sam. I've interrupted. Well, I, I want to ask you a question, Tom. It's a rhetorical question. I know the answer. How do we know so much about this guy's style and this guy's artwork, given that none of his works survive? Because it was replicated heavily, Sam. People would copy his style. It was, Tom. He was forged to fuck. <laughs> yeah. 1,500 original works might sound like a lot, but the Romans and the Greeks absolutely loved his artwork and loved his style. His most famous works were forged by his apprentices and hundreds of years later by the Romans. They were fully recreated in every detail, which is why so many marble works attributed to Lysippus survive, despite the fact that he probably never actually touched a chisel in his working life. In fact, some museums today still attribute marble works to him, despite knowing full well that they're Roman copies from 200 years later. He only ever worked in bronze. And basically everything that survives is marble. Oh, that's interesting. So it, it, it cannot be his. Yeah, that is interesting. It's the equivalent of going to the gift shop at the Louvre and buying a Mona Lisa canvas print. So it's still going to be nice. It's still going to be probably expensive and a little overpriced, but it's definitely not the original thing. Not to say that the statues and copies that were made aren't beautiful. They are, and they're in museums all around the world, but they definitely aren't his. There's a couple of pieces which may be originals, and you alluded to them earlier, or maybe you didn't. Depends whether I edited it out or not. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of pieces which may be originals. But working that out from among the thousands of forgeries is really tough. So in 2010, two art dealers in Greece were arrested with what could have been an original sculpture of Alexander the Great. But it was inconclusive. It was taken away and analysed, but they weren't for sure able to say that it was his. It was from a similar period. It was in the right style, but it could have been much later. More interestingly, there's a piece called the Getty Bronze, or the Victorious Youth, which yes. is a statue of a youngish man posing with an athlete's olive reef. He doesn't have his feet, as per normal. <laughs> and it was found by fishermen off the Adriatic coast in Italy in 1966. It is a gorgeous statue. As someone who's not particularly into art, I can see it's a really nice statue, which would once have featured inlaid eyes made of bone, and also features copper nipples, just to uh, really set it off. 
Yeah, I mean, th- that was before the advances, wasn't it? Before they advanced onto blue and red lights. Yes, absolutely. This was the starter. Yeah, the, pr- the pre-road. So you've got a beautiful bronze statue with lovely golden-coloured nipples. And I think Copper Nipples would be a fantastic nickname as well. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you'd earn that nickname, but it'd be a great nickname. Goddamn Copper Nipples. Oh, it's old Copper Nips. <laughs> Riding into town. Hey, Copper Nipples. <laughs> this town ain't big enough for the two of us. <laughs> the fishermen who discovered this statue were paid five thousand six hundred dollars for the find in 1966, and eleven years later, it was sold to the J. Paul Getty Museum in California by a German art dealer for four million dollars, which oh. is quite a lot of appreciation over eleven years. Because fuck art, Tom. Why would you pay the fishermen who found it a reasonable price? <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. They weren't the pirates, were they? It was the other guys that were selling stuff illegally. Yeah, the fishermen just literally they just trawled it up in a net. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well I have to say, a round of applause to the restoration team who had to scrape over two thousand years of sea gungeon rust off of this thing by hand with a scalpel. Which <laughs> which oh. took years. Art restorers have literally the patience of saints. Yeah, that's pretty dull, isn't it? That'd be a pretty dull task. So it's believed that the statue was saved from being stolen and melted down to pay for some war or another. Ironically, by having been looted by the Romans, who then lost it in a shipwreck on the way to Italy, which is pretty much the only way any Greek bronzes survive. Yes. Greece has been the centre of an awful lot of European and Middle Eastern geopolitics over the centuries, which tends to involve Greece getting invaded yeah, <laughs> and the invaders stealing anything of any value. So almost all Greek bronzes are gone. There's precious few left. And the ones that have survived have survived in shipwrecks because they were being stolen by the Romans and carted off. Yeah, too difficult to go down and get. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or, or just lost, which is the reason why most of the ones that survive have lost their feet, because they're obviously knocked down and taken in a hurry and the feet tend to be fairly well attached to the pedestal. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so they tend to snap off if you remove the thing in a hurry. It's just like, you you know, that very famous video of the statue of Saddam Hussein being torn down in Baghdad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he breaks off at the ankles. It's just like that. Or Sabutio players. Sabutio players always break off at the ankles. They do, yes. The real cultural tragedy of our time. (laughs) (laughs) So the Getty Museum have carbon dated this statue to somewhere between the end of the 4th century BC and the 2nd century BC. So it could just just conceivably have been one of the last pieces that uh, Lysippus made. But no one can be sure. At any rate, there's been a bit of ongoing controversy with this statue because the Italian government have been demanding it back for quite a long time now, claiming that it was looted out of Italy illegally, which is a claim the Getty Museum denies. But I think there's a wonderful irony there, Tom, in that the Italian government is demanding back a supposedly looted artefact which was found having been in the process of being looted from the Greeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's history coming full circle. We demand our stolen goods that we stole back. Yes. <laughs> very good. Very, very good. No, it's ours. We stole it a fair and square. I would join in, but I can't do a Greek accent. That was an Italian accent, so clearly I neither know, can I. Know I. It was, I know, but I, I felt like I needed to do a Greek one just to sort of... Balance it out. What a mistake to make it. Having said that, obviously, there is an enormous illicit trade in stolen and looted antiques in Italy and Greece. There's absolutely vast criminal underworld. So it's almost certain that if any genuine pieces do survive, they have been spirited away somewhere over the centuries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that is the story of, of Lysippus, who is the greatest classical sculptor who we have none of his works left. 
Rather sad, that. Excellent. Do you have any honorary mentions, Sam? Oh, there is. Actually, there was one statue that I was going to do. And I need to... I've not got it in front of me, so give me one second and I'll bring him back up. I was tempted by Discobolus by Myron. Always a favourite of mine oh. doing classics. Have you come across that? I haven't, no. It's the discus thrower. There's a copy of it in the British Museum, if I remember correctly, at the top of a flight of stairs. It's just a really, really nice bit of sculpture. It's very beautiful... Uh, shapes created by this gentleman trying to throw a discus. Oh, wonderful. Well, I was going to give an honorary mention to the Croatian Apoximenos. Yes. Which is another statue that was recovered from the ocean. A statue of a young Greek man cleaning himself with a kind of a scraping scalpel. And I was going to give it an honorable mention because when it was dug up and they investigated it, they found that it was absolutely filled with the remains of twigs, nuts, seeds and a family of rodents had been nesting in it, which I just thought was quite sweet. (laughs) And it took an awful lot of restoration work to remove the animal nest from inside this statue. Well, Tom, well, well, well. Should we pick a topic for next week? Yes, I have a suggestion. Go on, then. Pirates. Done. Beat that. (laughs) I love a pirate. Love a good pirate. Everyone loves a good pirate. It's a chance to do some accents. It's a chance to... <laughs> Until someone ruins it by being a Somali pirate and having machine guns and being really boring. Oh, well, that's ruined my idea already. Yeah, boring. That's not what we're looking for here. We're looking for, you know, peg legs, parrots on the shoulder. Beards. Yeah, walking the plank. At least two pieces of eight. Lots of R's. R, R. That's what we're looking for here, Sam. Okay, I'll bear that in mind. Does that ban me from doing any of the posh pirates? Are there any, are there many posh pirates? Oh yeah, the the privateers, as funded by the British Crown, were oh yes noblemen. yes yes a wonderful wonderful pirate. I am a pirate. I'm afraid I'm gonna have to make a water plank. I'm afraid my timbers are shivered, dear boy. <laughs> indubitably, indubitably, sir. <laughs> indubitably. So posh pirates, posh or otherwise. Excellent. Wonderful. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have, please do like and subscribe to us so you get us in your inbox in your podcast app of choice every single week because we release new episodes every Thursday morning. Or you could even review us on your favourite podcast platforms such as Podbean, iTunes, um, others, <laughs> Podme-like, Podorodaruni. Podorodaruni.com. Other apps, real or imaginary, may exist. Yes. And on that note, I think we should probably see you next week, shouldn't we? Yes, bye-bye, ta-ra. Bye-bye, ta-ra. Well, that was chaos.